You may be seated. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles once again with me to that book of Genesis in chapter number 45. And um, I'm excited about what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. And I hope and I pray uh, that it will be an encouragement to you. And we come, we come to a, a man in the Scriptures who I think is very familiar to us. Uh, the life of Joseph. Many of us, since we were, were young people, if we've grown up in church, have heard about the life of Joseph. We know who he was. We know uh, that he was to be one of the greatest pictures right in the Old Testament of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to the life of Joseph um, this morning into a, a passage which I think is, is possibly and, and most probably one of the most emotional moments in Joseph and his brother's life. Now, if you read the life of Joseph, you know the life of Joseph, you know that his life was filled with ups and downs and was filled with lots of emotional moments. And uh, I think the reality is, is, as human beings, we are emotional people. Uh, we all have moments where we are filled with joy, but we also all have moments where we feel that we are in the depths of despair. And uh, here we see a mixture for Joseph and his brothers in the passage that we're going to look at. But I want to I draw your attention to uh, something that is expressed to us in verse number 5, verse number 7, and verse number 8 in our text this morning, Genesis chapter 45. It says this, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. Now this is... Remember, this is Joseph speaking to his brethren. Notice what it says next. For God did send me before you to preserve life. In verse number 7, Joseph says this, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then in verse number 8, it says this, So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. God sent me, Joseph says to his brothers. Now, before we can really look at this, I, I, I think we've got to almost go back to the beginning of Joseph's life and, and understand what is happening? God, God sent me. What does that mean? Where is the historical context to that? But let me just say this. What this passage is speaking about is the work of God in Joseph's life and in the life of really the, the children of Israel. God was at work in their lives. And that's what we see here. It, it speaks, sometimes we, we speak of the word providence that God is providing and that God is in control to accomplish His perfect will in the world. That's, that's what is happening here. But let's, let's look at this. So you, you'll, you'll know the story of Joseph. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And, and Joseph was Israel's son that he seems to love above all the rest because he was born uh, to his, his favorite wife, um, Let's not get into that debate and conversation. But nevertheless, Joseph is his favorite son. Was that right? Was that wrong? Uh, we're not going to talk about that. It obviously uh, wasn't, but, but God was going to use that. So in that, Joseph's brothers 
begin to recognize in their father that he starts to treat Joseph differently. Uh, he gives him a little bit more at the dinner table. He gives him a, a little bit more time and, uh, before bed, those kind of things. And eventually, uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, gets Joseph this coat, this, this coat of many colors that, wow, he's, he's never provided for me in that way. And so his brothers, Reuben and Judah and, and all the rest, uh, get a little bit offended by this. They don't like it. Uh, how many of you have siblings? Yes. How many of you were the favored sibling? Okay, a few of you. How many of you were not the favored sibling? Yes, most of us, right? None of us were the favored one in our eyes. This was the problem. And so there begins to be in his brothers a bit of animosity. There begins to be a little bit of jealousy. A little bit of their own pride is, is raising its, its ugly head in their lives. And they don't like Joseph. Now, now, it's one thing that their father likes Joseph and, and thinks more highly of Joseph. But then Joseph comes out one day with his two dreams. You know the story. And eventually Joseph explains to them uh, that he's having these dreams that say that he is better than his brethren or that he one someday, I should say, will rule over his brethren. And so now in his brethren's eyes, not only does their father like Joseph, more than them. But now they recognize that Joseph sees himself as an authority over them. And so all the more their, their pride uh, is ignited and they are jealous towards their brother. And they, the Bible tells us very clearly in Genesis uh, that they hate him. Uh, notice what it says in uh, Genesis uh, number thir- chapter 37, verse number 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, the Scriptures say, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So eventually, they're away. Joseph goes to them and they conspire against Joseph. They're going to throw him into a pit. Well, I guess at first they're going to kill him. They decide they want to kill him. Their hatred, right? The Scriptures say if you have hate for somebody, it's as if you murdered them. Well, they were ready to do that. They were going to kill Joseph. And so they, they make this conspiracy. And then uh, one of the brothers, Reuben, says, let's, let's, not, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in this pit. And let's leave him for dead. That way the blood is not on our hands. And so as, as this is happening, now they see in, in chapter number 37, verse number 27, they change their plans. Verse number 26, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his, his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. And so look, look at this. The brother's hatred, the brother's pride and jealousy, the brother's murderous spirit. They're ready to murder their brother, and now they're greed. They want, why should we kill him? Let's make a, like, let's make a little money out of him. Look at the wickedness here. And so this is Joseph's life. Joseph, uh, my, my pastor growing up used to say, Joseph's life was this. It started in the pit, then it went to Potiphar's house, then to the prison, and then to the palace. There's your four Ps for the day. If you can remember those, that will help you to remember Joseph's life. He first was in the pit, 
Then he was sold. He goes to slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. Uh, you know the story that is going very well at first. Uh, the, the Lord was with Joseph, and Potiphar sees that God's hand is upon Joseph. He gives him a, an exalted position in the house. Eventually, Potiphar's wife uh, it, it seeks to tempt and to draw Joseph away. Joseph resists. Uh, long story short, Joseph ends up in the prison. In the prison, you can imagine, uh, not the greatest place, but still the Lord is with him. Uh, again, Joseph is brought to an exalted position in the pr- prison, uh, again interpreting dreams, and eventually he ends up in the palace, in, in, in Pharaoh's house, uh, ruling in Egypt. And so the, the Scriptures tell us that God was with Joseph. The whole time, God was working in his life. And so now, now we find Joseph in the palace, 30 years old, and Pharaoh has a dream. Uh, Ultimately, the dream is this. There's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine come. Joseph has, in the seven years of plenty, collected enough to save Egypt and and really to save uh, those who would have been experiencing the famine of that time. And and so he saves uh, uh, plenty of food. And so now we're in the second year of famine. 22 years have passed since Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. 22 years have passed. And now his brothers come to Egypt because Egypt has food. We don't have food, so we're going to go find food. Egypt has food. We're going to buy some food. And so they come to Egypt. Joseph's family, his fathers, his brothers, they need sustenance. And they come and Joseph recognizes them. As you'll know, they did not recognize Joseph. At this time, no doubt, Joseph would have uh, taken on, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, the Egyptian style. He would have changed his look in some ways. And they did not recognize him. No doubt he was speaking uh, in a different language. And so all the more reason to not understand him. And so Joseph recognizes them immediately and, and begins to test them. He begins to try them. He, he sends them back and, and asks uh, that, that Benjamin would return with them. And long story short, short Benjamin has, has now come back. And the, the, the silver cup has been put in Benjamin's bag. And, and now Joseph implies to them that um, Benjamin is going to be his slave. And, uh, and finally now Judah, in, in chapter number 44, uh, the brother whose idea it was to sell him into slavery, now Judah breaks down. And Judah pours everything out before Joseph. Imagine that moment when, when he realizes now the, the weight of his, of his father's life, literally. That's what his father said. If something happens to Benjamin, I'll die. There'll be no point. And so now Judah has the weight of his father's life and, and the, the weight of all of his brethren and the weight of Benjamin's life all on his shoulders. Imagine the, the tension at that moment. And Judah spills everything out to Joseph. And he begins to explain to Joseph that that he made a big mistake 22 years ago by selling his brother into slavery. And that, that now his father is, 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 is heartbroken and he's brought Benjamin and we don't have food. And, and basically, everything is falling apart. And the Scriptures tell us in our text, verse number 1 of chapter 45, then Joseph could not 
refrain himself before all them that stood by him. Imagine, imagine that moment when, when your brother who thought you were dead is standing before you and he's confessing that he had killed you, that he had sold you into slavery and that it's his reason that you're, you're gone. And, and Joseph is standing there and he, he breaks down. He cannot hold it in any longer. And he, he says, he cries out and he says, cause every man to go for me. All of, all of Pharaoh's house, all of the servants, all of the Egyptians go away from me. And there stood no man with him. While Joseph made us known himself unto his brethren and he wept aloud. Imagine what the brethren must have been thinking. What is, what is happening? Why are you weeping? We are the ones who are broken. We are the ones who have been caught out. We are the ones that are in trouble, that don't have food. Why are you weeping? And Joseph begins to weep. And the Scriptures tell us that Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Imagine that moment when when the realization sunk in in his brother's heart and mind that that the man standing before them, the man that was looking like an Egyptian was their brother. Imagine when they... That that is his nose. Those are his eyes. Yeah, he's got a shaved head, but that is his chin. He, He looks like the rest of us. Imagine that moment. I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And the Bible tells us, and his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at His presence. At that moment, they realized that the man who who they had sold into slavery, who they had planned to kill, was was there, was in front of them, and, and they were guilty before Him. They could not speak. They were dumbfounded. They could not speak. And Joseph said unto them, Come near unto me, I pray you. And they came and imagine. I can imagine them slowly. Which one's going to step forward first? Uh, at any moment, he's going to ask the Egyptians to come back in and to slay us all. Uh, we were cruel to him in the past. And, and, and this is what happens. In verse number 5, Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. Now, this, this blows my mind. They didn't ask for forgiveness. He has already forgiven them. But he knows where they're struggling. He says this, Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. He says this, God is the reason that I am here. The the reality is this morning is that God is at work. That's what he's saying. He's saying you think that it is you, but God has worked an insurmountable work, an unmeasurable work, and a miraculous work. And God has sent me here for this very purpose. And see, I think the reality is, if we're honest, as we consider Joseph's life, as we look at this moment, and and we see that Joseph recognizes that God has done this, that God is at work, I think that we would be very honest if we were to say that often amidst our own trials, 
amidst our own tribulation, amidst the turmoil of our own lives, we too are like His brethren. We're like, what has happened? Why is it going this way? We don't remember God, and often we lose sight of God amidst our own situations. But God was still in control. See, this is what I love about the God of the Bible versus the gods of this world, because we serve a God who is in control, who is present, who is there, a God who is involved in our lives. The gods of this world are not that way. The God of Islam does not care about His people. The God of, of Hinduism, or if, if it is a God or gods or however you want to define it, the of Buddhism, the gods of this world do not care about their people. But the God of the Bible, Jehovah God, uh, He says that in the book of Exodus, that to, before he was, he was God Almighty, but to this people, He's going to be Jehovah God. To you and to me, He is a personal God. And a God who is at work in our lives. A God who has not started things and left it to spin off in its own, in its own destruction. A God who is present. And can I be honest with you? If we look at our world, it is hard sometimes to remember that God is at work, isn't it? Think about the, the movements of our generation, the, the, the LGBTQIA+. You think, is God really present if this kind of a, of a, of a view can, can manifest itself in our world? You think of the, the shootings, right? The shootings across the world, the shootings in America. How could God be present? You think of the suffering of children. How many times have you heard somebody say, surely there is no God because children die? The wicked things that happen in our world. Surely God is not present. Can I tell you something? The God of the Bible is at work. And He is present. He is there. And He cares about your life. He cares about this church. He cares about your soul. God is at work. That's what Joseph is saying. God sent me. I am here, not because of you, but because of God. Because God is at work. Don't forget that. Those are comforting words. Amidst whatever you're going through, I, I don't know, I know you guys, but I don't know all of the ins and outs of your life. And let's be honest, usually the hard trials and things that we experience, we keep to ourselves. I wouldn't dare tell you what's going on in my marriage. I wouldn't dare tell you what's going on with my children. I wouldn't dare tell you the, the turmoil I'm having at work, right? We keep it to ourselves. But can I tell you something? God is still working amidst all of your trials. And He cares. Though I don't know. And to be honest, I'm not the most caring person. I wish I were. But there are some things that I should care about that I don't. You can ask my wife. And you might feel that way about, about your spouse or your friends or the people around here. But God does. God cares and He is working in your life. I say that with confidence in the Scriptures. God is at work. 
There's a, there's a man by the name of Adoniram Judson, and I, I've quoted this before, I've told this story before, but he was a missionary to Burma, and he went to Burma, and in, in the first few years that he was there, uh, I hate to say this, but Britain attacked Burma, and so uh, the Burmese people turned against uh, all foreigners. And so they took uh, Adoniram Judson, they stuck and put him in prison, they, they fastened his feet in stalks up, upside down, so his feet were up like this, and they would come by and whip the bottom of his feet. At that time, his wife uh, was visiting. Eventually, she stopped visiting. Eventually, she and their, their, their firstborn child, their newborn child, both died. Finally, Adonai Judson gets out of prison, and he, and he goes home to find his child and his wife on their deathbed. They die. Adonai Judson thinks, what is happening? I moved to Burma to be a missionary, to do great things for you, God, and, and all I've done has been imprisoned. I've been beaten, and now my wife and, and my first child are dead. The story goes that he goes out into the wilderness and he digs a grave for himself. Adonai Judson. And he sits on the edge of his grave. Day in, day out. And he wrote this in his journal. He said, he said To me, God is the great unknown. I know He is there, but I see Him not. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. You know what? I I know that God is there, but I don't see it. Imagine with me when you were, if you were Joseph being cast in that pit, being sold into slavery, spending nights in a prison. Prisons today are, are great. They're, they're luxury compared to the prisons of, of, uh, 4,000 years ago when Joseph was experiencing this. I know he's there, but I see him not. You know, this is where we we come to this point in our life sometimes. But this is what I want you to know. In that moment, know with confidence that God is at work. Now, this is the second thing. Notice this. Not only is God at work, But God has a purpose in His work. There is a reason that God is doing the things that He's doing. He's not just working. Sometimes we we do things, oh, I'm going to stick a flower there in my garden. Why? I don't know. I I have a flower and I'm going to stick it there. Sometimes we do things willy-nilly, but God's not like that. God has a plan. God has a will. God has a purpose. God has a reason for doing the things He's doing. Notice what the Scripture said. God, verse number 5, God did send me before you to preserve life. The reason that God had sent him, the reason, think of this, the reason God had put him in a pit, the reason God had made his brothers hate him, the reason that God had sent him into Egypt was all for this reason, that God would preserve life. Now, do I understand that? No. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But God had a reason. There was a purpose to preserve life. In verse number 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you of posterity in the earth and to save your lives. Had, had Joseph not been there, had Joseph not known the dream and interpreted the dream and for seven years helped Egypt to, to save all this food and these rations, there would have been uh, death across the land including his brethren. He sent me to save your lives by a great deliverance. There was a purpose. There was a reason that this was happening. 
Because God desired to save His people. Why? Because He had made a promise and God doesn't break His promises. God made a promise to Abraham a few hundred years ago. And then He reiterated it to Isaac. And then He reiterated it to Jacob who would be called Israel. The children of Israel. And and so God had sent this one man, Joseph, to be the deliverer. That He wouldn't break His promise to Abraham hundreds of years ago. Think of that. God is at work and there's a reason for it. There's a purpose. Now, now sometimes, do you think that Joseph understood it in the pit? Amidst the turmoil that you're facing right now, do you understand what God is doing? No. If you look back at your life, especially some of those who have lived a few decades, a few, few decades, you might remember the times in your life you look back and you think, I didn't know what God was doing then. And that was an excruciating moment. But I look back and I see that God was at work and it was for a good reason. The Scriptures say this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And we know that all things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. In in Genesis 50, you thought evil against me, but God meant it. God meant that evil for good. Hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. God is at work and God is doing something in our lives, in our church, individually, nationally. God has a purpose and it's good. God, the, the things that God does are good. Always. The third thing. God did send me before you to preserve life. Verse number 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Notice this, verse number 8, So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Third thing, it's God's work, not yours and mine. Do you realize so often, especially when it's a positive thing, we like to claim the work of God for ourselves, don't we? Oh, you won't believe who I brought to church this morning. You won't believe who I say, I mean, I led to the Lord this morning. We speak that way, don't we? You won't believe what what our church is doing. Are we doing it? Are we the ones who who are working in the souls of men to save them? No, it is God's work, not ours. God is doing something, and it's not us. This is what He says to His brethren. It was not you. Stop claiming the credit. Stop feeling the guilt and the shame. Now, now, don't, this was not to, to uh, get rid of their sin. They still sinned. They still were greedy. They still hated their brother. They still sold him into slavery. It was this. But it was not simply. It was not merely them. God was at work. This is, this is the, the example I gave to the children. It was not the pen who wrote the book. Though the pen was used to write the book, it was the author. It was not the sculptor 
or it was, uh, pardon me, it was not the chisel and the hammer that made the sculpture. They were used in the hands of the sculptor. Do you recognize that? We are not the ones doing this amazing mission on this world. Sometimes we think that with missions or church planting. I planted a church in Crowborough. No, none of us planted a church. God is doing the work. We are nothing more than mere pens in the hand of an author or mere tools in the hand of a sculptor, more, mere paintbrushes in the hand of the artist. The, the question, the real question is, is are you willing to allow God to use you? The brothers, the brothers weren't, yet God still used them. It's one thing when it's positive, but we also do this with negative things. Something in our life goes, goes the way we don't want it. We think somebody's sick and we think, oh, that's my fault. I, if, I, if I wasn't doing this and that, I, I've done that. Now, that doesn't extinguish or, 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 or let you free off your sins. Your sins are sins and you're guilty for them. The Scriptures tell us that, that God does not sin. He has not sinned. He, he has not tempted you. I don't understand that. I don't understand the, the, the work of God, the sovereignty of God, and the, the will of man. I don't get it. If, if you do, then you're a heretic because it's beyond us. We don't understand all that God is doing. But He is at work. And He uses us. And He, he works even in the, the, the sins of this world. They thought they understood it. These brothers thought they knew what was going on. But they didn't. It was not you that sent me hither, but God. God was working. God had done something impossible. Something that, that man's mind could never have come up with. We would never think this way. We, we, we would have come up with a, a far easier and a, 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 a far less sticky kind of a plan. But see, God doesn't work the way we think He should either. I wonder this morning, do you understand the work of God? I don't think Joseph did when he was in the pit. I don't think he did when he was sold into slavery. I don't think he did when he was in prison. I don't think he understood the Lord's work when he was in Potiphar's house or even when, when he was interpreting dreams. I don't think he understood that God was going to raise him up to be the deliverer. But God was working in his life. And, and so this, this is the thing. is It is extremely challenging to understand all that God is doing in our own lives. It is extremely challenging for me to understand exactly what God is doing in my own life. How He's pulling me and testing me and trying me and, and constantly things in my mind. And it's like, what, what are you having me to do, Lord? You know, And, and I'm, I'm constantly wrestling over things. So let us be careful to pretend like we know what God is, number one, doing in our lives. But let us be extremely careful not to pretend like we know what God is doing in somebody else's life. Now, there are some things that are clear that God is doing. We, there are some things that are very obvious that God is doing, that He's revealed to us through His Word, things that He's promised that He would do. But there are a lot of movings that God is doing in the hearts and lives of His people 
and the people who aren't his people, right? You, you read into Exodus and you begin to see the life of Pharaoh. Uh, explain to me what God is doing there. Like, but God is moving. And sometimes we think we know what God is doing in somebody else's life and we begin to judge other people. That's what the brethren were doing. They, they judged that whole situation. They knew they were going to get killed at that moment. But Joseph saw it from a more spiritual, from, from no doubt the Lord gave him that understanding that God was working in his life to make him a deliverer. This is, this is amazing. You meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good. Can I tell you, there's no more beautiful picture in all the Scriptures than the cross of Christ. What an incredible moment in human history, the moment where Satan literally thought he was winning the victory by hanging the Son of God on the cross. Yet at the same time, God is actually winning the victory by hanging His Son on the cross. I don't understand that. I'm not going to pretend to, to be so theological that I understand God's work in that regard. But God at that moment was using the wickedness of man to redound to the glory of God. He was doing something incredible. God's work is incredible. God's work is magnificent. Right? Job, stand still and behold the wondrous works of God. Seriously? After all that had happened in Job's life when he lost everything except for his wife, who was, who was a, a woman who, who commanded him to curse God and die? Like... Like everything he lost was valuable to him and the thing that he was left with hurt him. Think of that for a moment. Yet God says, stand still and behold the wondrous works of God. I don't understand it all. I don't, I don't get it. But take comfort, brother and sister, this morning and know that God is doing a work in your life. He has a purpose in it and it is a good work. And I know all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. No. I don't know what you're facing. I, I, I want to make this clear. I don't get it all. But be careful, not, be careful not to lose sight of God in it all. And be careful not to think that you get it or understand it all. I don't think we do. I, I don't know if we ever will. But God is at work. God is doing the impossible. And it is good. You meant it to evil, but God meant it good. God did send me. Let's pray. Father, this is a great mystery to us. And I hope that all of us understand it a little bit better and I hope that all of us are comforted by it, Lord. I pray that Thou wouldst give us understanding in all of this and comfort in the fact that Thou art working. Lord, Thou art working. And so we trust Thee with this. We look to Thee. And we look to Thee for the comfort amidst the trials and the turmoil that we're going through. Lord, forgive us for claiming credit for Thy work, when we know it is not our work, it is Thee who is working. Give us greater faith, Lord. Increase our faith. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Let us know that Thou art present and working. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.